had to blow the dust off of the old blue t- blue uh, snowball here. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. So that's what the kids are calling it these days. Well, you know, I mean, there's different things. Crazy things, <laughs> wild things. Crazy kids. So anyway, I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. if you've seen Dial of Destiny yet. Saw it, in fact, just last night. Okay. Yeah. I just want to open up the show by asking you, what did you think of it? thought it was good. Um, I honestly think it was a bit better than the um, the Crystal Skulls, Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. Yep. Um, I don't think it was as good as Temple of Doom. But I can I can also this is where I, I kind of screwed myself with the movie, though, is I was paying a lot of attention to a lot of the rumors that were coming up and they did extensive reshoots and all this other stuff on it. And you can having paid close attention to all that stuff, I can see where they what they reach kind of where the where the changes in the storyline were towards the end. Yeah. You know. So I can kind of see how I don't think the rumors I heard were wrong, but I think they definitely uh, played it up more than they probably should have. But then again, I don't know. It might have been a completely different, uh, horrible movie had they not been playing it up as much as they did. Because I do know the test screenings, the initial test screenings they first did like nine months, a year ago, whenever the hell it was, right, were absolutely horrible. People were hating the movie. Yeah. And then they did extensive reshoots. They did it again, and people liked it better, but it still wasn't doing good. So they did another round of reshoots, and this is the movie we got. And I think overall it's a good movie. It's a solid movie. I think Temple of Doom is better. Um, I still struggle with whether I like um, Last Crusade or Lost Ark which one is my favorite of the four? Right. Five, excuse me, five, five now. Yeah. Sacrilege. So how about you? Um, first of all, one of the re- there's a reason why we call the website and the podcast the Fedora Chronicles. And it's yeah. it calls back to the 1980s when I first really fell in love with the style and sub- substance I said I wasn't going to stutter. I said I, I, I promised myself I wasn't going to stutter in there. Right? It's, it's like we're not even we're not even four minutes into recording and I'm already studying stuttering. Um, in the early 1980s, I became really enamored with the entire style and substance of what we call like the golden era and or the jazz era, the jazz decades. And by the time I finally saw Raiders of the Lost Ark that just supercharged everything that I already loved about the era. Um, and it changed me as a person. It made me want to be a better man. And what other movie can you say that about? Yeah. Um, I'm trying, it's not that I don't know what to say. I'm not really sure if I know how to say this without sounding too congratulatory or I don't want to come off as a simp for the Indiana Jones franchise. Yeah. There's, um, I felt that the movie spoke 
on many different levels. I mean, Dial of Destiny. And that it was just like, it was, it's an adventure about this character, Indiana Jones, and what he's going through. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this movie, why are you even listening to this podcast? Um, go out, see this movie, and make up your own mind. Yeah. Dial of Destiny deals with the character of Indiana Jones and everything that he is going through in the summer of 1969 like literally two weeks after the day i was born so there's on that level he's dealing with the fact that he's not the greatest american hero anymore nobody knows what it is that he he did he there's an aspect of of indy where he's watching the parade for the apollo 11 astronauts and there's there's a moment where i thought it was like he was kind of like looking at their parade and wondering, well, where was my parade? Where was my parade for finding the, the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Grail? Where, where was my parade? There was that brief moment or a couple of moments where he was like, well, where's my, quote, fortune and glory, end quote. Yeah. And it also deals on the level of time passages and how things, how life changes, how life throws you tragedy, how life throws you um, insurmountable problems. The loss of his son, the separation from his wife, um, and not being the man he used to be. And something has ha- something happened to him in the past 10 years where he went from being the associate dean of archaeology in this prestigious college in Connecticut to teaching summer school at a community college in New York City. And right. we know that he had been there. Something happened. Something has happened. And leaving those questions unanswered is part of the charm of the movie. Well, they they kind of hint towards it. They I hint mean, towards it. There's that scene where um, the Dial of Destiny basically is the Antikythera mechanism and Archimedes designed it as a way of calculating wormholes in space in within the earth's atmosphere that allow people to travel back and forth through time. And there's one point where his goddaughter basically asks him, if you go back in time, where would, what would you do? Would you go see the fall of Troy? Would you do, you know, and she lists off two or three things. I forget what the other two are. Right. And he said, I would, convince my son not to go to war yep not to go to vietnam yeah and he he i don't remember him saying vietnam i thought he said war i could almost swear i've only seen it twice jay so yeah um i could you know i'm pretty sure he there's the word vietnam was said somewhere okay i I don't remember that but that's okay i because it, it, it doesn't really matter. It, it doesn't matter. Any war could have been the Korean War, could have been yeah. Vietnam War, right? It doesn't really matter. Um, the point is, is that his son goes to war and dies. Um, was really seemed to be hinted at as being the foundation for all of the problems that happened after that, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I thought it was rather poignant at the end. Yeah. When he wakes up after being injured and Marion is there and she's like, well, yeah, it hurts everywhere. And he's like, everywhere? 
And yeah. then she looks at him coyly and lifts up her, her arm and points at a row. Well, well right. not there. Yeah. That, that. You know, echoing the the reverse of what happened at, in Indiana Jones when they're on Captain Katanga's ship. Right. In Raiders of the Lost Ark, for the, for the two people who don't know what we're talking about. See the fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think that one of the things that I would definitely have to address here also, because one of the things that it also is somewhat addressed, or one of the themes of the movie it is, it's also, it also harkens to the fact that Harrison Ford is now 80 and he's playing this character. And he's not just speaking about himself and the passage of time through this movie. He, it, there's also, I felt as if there was something, a part of this movie speaking to us who were fans of these movies back in the 1980s. And of yeah. course, every since then. And it was like people's tastes in movies has changed. I don't know if Raiders of the Lost Ark would be the smashing success it was today as it was in 1981 if it was released in light of everything else like the Equalizer movies and John Wick, um, all of these other movies. The problem with that thought is that Indiana Jones influenced all of those following movies. You know, there isn't there isn't a a movie maker today who makes action movies or deals in action or adventure movies that doesn't cite Indiana Jones as being an influence on them. So you can't say that without also it's like saying, you know, you know, I wonder what Indiana how Indiana Jones would have would have played in the 1920s. You can't say that because Indiana Jones was inspired by all of the cliffhangers that were made in the thirties and forties and twenties. You know what I mean? Those that's it's, it's too reciprocal. There's too much from the later action and adventure movies that are drawn from the childhood experiences those filmmakers had watching Indiana Jones. You know, what would sci-fi be like today if it wasn't for star Wars? That's a very good question. Um, that kind of sidetracked me talking about like the box office and how it didn't perform that well in the box office. And with the exception of Barbie, which I think I might get into in a little bit, I think Barbie's success is also commentary on what's going on in today's society. All the movies I can think of right now have done poorly in the box office that used to be box office darlings with some exceptions. I, I can honestly say I have not seen a movie in a theater since 2019. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't even gone to a theater. Just haven't. Yeah. You know, um, I think like a lot of other things in life, um, things have changed. Yeah. You know, the, the, the world is changing. Um, for me on a personal level, it's changed quite profoundly in yeah, the well, past I'd like to talk about year. that. Yeah, I'd like to talk about that in the second half of the show if we can. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we and, kind of, um, when you, you know, have... and the world is the world is constantly in a state of change. There's we're we're always we're always changing. You know, like right now, as as we're speaking, Hurricane Adalia is hitting Florida and just spanking the shit out of Florida, right? And prior to this hurricane season, there was discussion within the meteorological community on whether they should create a category six hurricane because our storms are getting stronger, you know? 
yep. to put that in perspective, I'm, I'm going to actually look it up right now. Hurricane categories. I believe Hurricane category five is do, 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 sustained winds in excess of 150 miles an hour is what I Cat four, cat five. Winds are 157 miles per hour or higher. Whereas cat four is 130 to 156. Now, when they talk about winds, they're talking yep. about sustained wind speed. And the discussion, as I recall seeing, is that anything over 200 mile an hour sustained winds, not gusts. But winds, sustained right. winds over 200 miles an hour should be a Category 6. So I'm at the time.com website, and it says that the, the description for Category 5, catastrophic damage will occur. In a Category 5 hurricane, the highest category hurricane, winds are under 57 miles per hour or higher. People, livestock, and pets can be in danger from flying debris, even indoors. Most mobile homes will be completely destroyed, and a high percentage of frame homes will be destroyed. Commercial buildings with wood roofs will experience severe damage. Metal buildings may collapse, and high-rise windows will nearly all be blown out. A Category 5 hurricane is likely to uproot most trees and ruin most power poles, and like with Category 4 hurricanes, power outages will likely last for weeks to months. People should expect long-term water shortages. So... That's a serious fucking storm. It's hard to get excited about a movie and talk about a movie's performance and its meaning yeah. when we're dealing with this kind of devastation. But it's also important to be able to do so. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we have these movies is because they're escapes from our everyday reality. And like the changes that we see in the Indiana Jones character, aside from the the ravages of age and how it affects everybody there's a, there's another scene in the movie where he he and his goddaughter are, are climbing a, a wall a, a cliff and he's talking about you know metal plates in his knee and hip and all this other kind of stuff the damage of living that kind of a life you know and it, it's funny because i i experienced that to a much lesser extent all the time too when i you know when i went back to Massachusetts and we visited New Hampshire, I had a cane with me. It's not because of anything else other than the fact that my knees just, my knees are bad, but not bad enough to justify surgery. And it was rainy and wet. And those, that's the worst time for me with my knees being the condition they are and my ankles too, to a smaller extent, you know, and it's just, as you get older, the more, <laughs> what was it? Someone said, friend of mine was saying, you can tell the people who did a lot of stupid shit when they were younger, by the time they reached their 50s, by how they walk and how they move. You know, the people who did a lot tend to limp more. They tend to complain more. They tend to be in oh, pain yeah. more. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's, we're seeing a reflection of that in the Indiana Jones character. Yeah. I thought the de-aging that they did in the movie was fantastic. Or, or the scene in the 19... 19- 1944, 45, towards the end of the war. Um, so much about this movie that I absolutely, totally loved. And by the end of the movie, I was, I was misty. I was like, I was all kind of like. <laughs> yeah, I was okay. getting verklempt myself towards the end. Yeah. And it was just like on so many different levels. 
because my da- my dad's favorite movie, or at least my dad's favorite movie to watch with me, was The Last Crusade. And my dad not being around to see Dial of Destiny hurt. It was, yeah, it hurt. That's it. That's all I can say. It yeah. just it just hurt. And realizing that it's like we're probably never going to see Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones ever in the movie theater ever again. I don't think that we're ever going to see another Indiana Jones movie ever again. Yeah. I mean, if we're being honest, we may not see Harrison Ford in another movie in the theaters again. I think probably like he's doing like one of the adventure movies replacing William Hurt's character and um, or William Hurt as the man who portrayed that character. It just it just sort of felt as if like it was like the end, like the end of everything that we loved back in the 1980s. It just seemed like this is a capstone yeah, and a way of saying goodbye to an earlier era. Well, and also it was the last movie we'll ever hear John Williams soundtrack. Probably. Most likely. Oh, he did say that was the last movie he was going to score. I think he did say that. And I think that Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg is trying to change his mind. It's like, you know, how, how much more can the man do? <laughs> you look at the list of credits for John Williams, right? Yeah. This is a guy who literally wrote the soundtrack to every action movie in our our adolescence. Yeah. Right? I mean, let's 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 go through the list. Come on. Concert works. Uh, let's see where's the list of uh, chamber works list of compositions he wrote star wars harry potter oh here we go film scores daddy-o gidget uh, uh the killers lost in space mm-hmm. how to steal a million the plainsman jesus some of these i didn't even know he did yeah. land of the giants jane Eyre, fiddler on the roof poseidon adventure the Long Goodbye, Tom Sawyer, um, The Towering Inferno, The Iger Sanction, Jaws, Star Wars, of course, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Superman, mm-hmm. Dracula, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, E.T., Star Wars, Indiana Jones again, Space Camp, Witches of Eastwick, Empire of the Sun, Superman, yep. Born on the Fourth of July. I mean... <laughs> Home Alone, yep. Presumed Innocent, Hook, JFK, Far and Away, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Sabrina. I mean, seven years. You can't name a film from the 70s, 80s, and 90s whose film whose soundtrack moved you right? that didn't have John Williams. It's either him or James Horner, but most likely it's... Most likely, it's 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 John Williams, Saving yeah. Private Ryan, The Patriot, AI, Harry Potter, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, or the Worlds. I mean, this is just it, it's crazy. It, I mean, if anybody deserves to retire and take a break, it's John Williams, right? Yeah, and at some point, it was just like it's it's not it's not that. I, it's not that I don't want to keep hearing his music. 
but it's to the point whereas it's like he deserves he deserves to choose what he does next he i wrote the fucking olympics yeah. score yeah. 1984 da, dun, da, 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 yeah i have that album i have that album that's williams <laughs> fucking hell and you're rattling off that list of all the movies that he's done and I'm just yeah. opening up the drawers here to my library of all the CDs that I have. Most of them are there. He wrote Gilligan's fucking island. Jesus. Yeah. So I, I, I think it would be wise to say that the franchise is probably done as a movie series. If you include, if you look at the box office receipts compared to how much this movie made how much it costs to make how much it's making um via digital download and if it if it's going to help disney make any money on disney plus when it finally arrives there um i have mixed feelings about that in particular because does disney deserve my money no right I mean, no. Look at look at the way they've trashed Marvel. They've trashed um, Star Wars. They're, you know, no. They it's it's. I'm just going to. Yeah, Willow. Yeah, I loved Willow. I didn't. Then Chris Claremont wrote the the original movie Willow. I loved, and then Chris Claremont wrote. Uh, a couple of books about Willow that I absolutely despised. They were good books. They just weren't Willow. Right. He literally destroyed everything from the movie, all of the backstory and everything, and then just basically took the character, renamed him, and took off from there. Yeah. And it was... They were good books, but it wasn't Willow. If he called it anything else other than this is a, this, this is the literary sequel to the movie, it would have been fine. I would have right. enjoyed it. Um I saw the first episode of the Willow series and just did not have any desire to see anymore. I couldn't turn it off fast enough. Yeah, I, I had a hard time getting through the first thing because I kept thinking to myself, well, maybe it'll be good. Yeah. No, no, it wasn't. You know, so Disney does not deserve my money. So in a way, as much as I love Indiana Jones and I'm glad, I hope, I'm glad this movie was better than I was afraid it was going to be. I also hope it's the last Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, because I, I don't need to see this movie evolve into something like James Bond. Don't get me wrong. I love James Bond, but it's just it's simply not the same. Right. The campiness was very escapist, you know, and I, where I loved the gritty take of the, 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 the Daniel Craig James Bond. Yeah. It is not the same James Bond. No. It's more true to the literary origins. Oh, yeah, he, they did tone down how much of an asshole Bond is. Right. And Bond is but, generally an asshole, but he's our asshole. <laughs> right. You know, you want it, that you want that yeah. kind of bad guy on your side. You go and look, you go and read the actual book Moonraker and then you watch the movie starring Roger Moore. And tell me if you're not pissed. Oh, I didn't. I don't even have to. I. Casino Royale, they've done three times, and they've yet to get one that's close to the book. There's one that's close enough, and it was just like, but people wouldn't stand for it. I don't think people would stand for, if you did a, a literal page-for-page page interpretation 
of Casino Royale, people wouldn't put up with it. Because you, you, you need you need to have somebody <laughs> you need to have somebody die. You need to have somebody in a serious car wreck or an explosion or um, Bond seducing some woman in every other scene or people are not going to tolerate it. Yeah. And there are aspects of Casino Royale that should only it should only be a book. It's a book. It's a good book. Right. Okay. And there's I can have. Casino Royale exists on its own as a book and Casino Royale starring Daniel Craig as a movie and they can live, they can coexist, but I know that one is not the other and nor should it be. It's close, but it's not the same. The same thing with Indiana Jones. I don't need an updated version of Indiana Jones. I don't need an archaeologist in 1981 searching for the Lost Ark of the Covenant and a remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark made by anybody else, including James Mangold. I don't need I don't need a reboot of the Indiana Jones movies. I'd like to have just I'd like to have something that's not ruined um, by running it into the ground. And here's here's part of the problem, right? Like we were talking earlier about the world changing and, and things are just constantly in change right now. Right. One of the things that's changing is Hollywood, and when I say Hollywood, I mean the institution, not the place. That is changing. The institution of Hollywood is devoid of creativity. They, and when I say that, I don't mean that they aren't. There aren't creative people in Hollywood. I'm sure there are, but the corporations that run Hollywood, MGM, Disney, um, fucking all, all of the other ones that are over there, right? They, they've all been merged so much. I think there's only really like two or three. Two or three real studios and everything else is just basically an imprint of that studio. Right. Right. They don't want to do anything chancy, which is what creativity is. Think of Indiana Jones and Star Wars, right? Those two movies. Star Wars was the first movie to take sci-fi really seriously. Right. It was the first movie to have spent serious money on the budget. Well, exclu- it was a huge risk. Ex- and right now, Hollywood is risk averse. They do not want to take chances. And that's why they keep rehashing old things and destroying them. The reason why they we have the superhero movie genre at all is because they were able to sell it as there's a built-in audience. And then the first thing they did was ali- do things to alienate that audience yep. and blame that audience for being alienated by the changes they were making to the beloved characters that they had already. Right. Yeah. It's fucked up. It's just fucked up. You, you I, I totally agree with you. I, I just, I, I, I would like to see Hollywood try something new, take a chance and come up with something original. That's all. Is that too much to ask? Yes, it, it is too much for them to, it's too much for them to ask. And I don't I don't think that if it wasn't for um, George Lucas and Alan Ladd Jr. and all his decree. Oh, Gary Kurtz. You can't forget Gary Kurtz. If it wasn't for that magic in a bottle in 1974, 75, when this movie was greenlit, taking those chances. Right. And even Ben Burt, the uh, sound engineer. Yeah. All of that was like just lightning in a bottle. You had the right people at the right time willing to take chances. George I Lucas almost died making Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Of course, you know, the idea of filming in Tunisia while he's wearing flannel fucking shirts was probably had something contributory. To I that. would almost, I would there. almost, I would bet my house that had something to do with it. <laughs> right. George, love you. What the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we need to have a talk with George about this. This is just not, you can't, you, you, you can't do this, buddy. Yeah. Um, but then we, then we have movies like even the Barbie movie. Yeah, right, and I was I have not get to seen. That. My daughter get says to that. it's fantastic. Yeah, her boyfriend liked it. You've seen it. You said it was good. No, oh um, no, I haven't seen it yet. But I, I do have some. Oh, you com- I have some okay. commentary on why it's so successful. Well, and 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 yet it's not new. Barbie has existed since the nineteen fucking what forties or fifties. Yeah. Early, let's just say early sixties. Right. So again. They're looking for something that they can turn into a movie that has a built-in audience because they're right. afraid to take a chance. The Westerns are coming back. There's been a lot of Westerns made in the last 10 years, right? Yeah. Personally, I'd like to see more pirate movies. Not so much Pirates of the Caribbean, but Pirates in general. Because right. Because I think that's just a fantastic era in history, but that's just me. But you're seeing that also on television, right? Yeah. With like Outlander and, and other shows that are mining that era of history, the Revolutionary War era and like the centuries before it, you know, the the age of exploration and all of that. They're starting to kind of explore those things, but they are very reluctant to throw any serious money behind it. You know, I would love to see another Master and Commander movie. I would too. Oh my God, that was a fantastic movie. But, you know, Hollywood is afraid to take chances. And as I've gotten older, there's things limiting the chances I can take. And I feel it. Oh my God, I feel it so much. I can't, I can't take the chances I used to take when I was in my 20s. Yeah. There's too many jeopardies. Yeah. You know? And I'm seeing that reflected in the studios and the decisions they're making, they're afraid to take chances, but that's kind of what their job is. Their job is to take chances. You know, I keep telling my kids, if you want to try something, try it now. Right. Now is the time when you can try things. Now is the time when you can say, I've got this crazy wild ass idea and I want to see if I can make it work. Fucking go for it and try it. Try, see what happens. Yeah. What's the worst that happens? You fail. Exactly. So let me list some other failures for you. Elon Musk failed several times before he hit with Tesla. Um, Steve Jobs, Mm -hmm. Bill Gates, Jeffrey Bezos, fucking even Warren goddamn Buffett, George fucking Soros. All of these people, they learned what they learned from that failure and learned to avoid it in the next attempt. And then they failed in some other way and they learned how to avoid that. And they, that's how they built the successes they had is they were not afraid to take chances. Yeah. Big risk equals big reward. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Not, not, not arguing with you, (laughs) you know, um, one of the things I I wanted to say about the Barbie movie and why I think it's so successful. And Mm -hmm. I, and I read the synopsis and it was just like, it's a, it's about, it has so many metaphors and so many layers to it. Whereas at some point a woman starts to wonder, is there more to me than just look being pretty? 
and just being a toy. And this, and women go on these journeys and these explorations on what, it, what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a person? Because eventually, you know, beauty wanes. Women do get older. Yeah. And there is a point, and it's a sad thing to watch when a woman realizes that she is not, she can't get by on her pretty privilege. And I know that I'm going to take shit for saying this. Most women. Well, I, d- I don't yeah. think you should because it's, it's, it's a fact of life. You know, people who don't want to admit that don't want, they're, they're ignoring that aspect of life. And usually the people who are going to give you the most shit are, the, are from women who were pretty when they were younger and have lost their looks as they've gotten older. Those are the women who are going to bitch the most because they know it's true and they don't want to admit it. They don't want to admit that a lot of what they've gotten away with, they've gotten away with because they were pretty. Because, yeah, pr- pretty privilege. Yep. And women get by or women have gotten by in the past couple of years, the past couple of decades with the sexual revolution of the promise of a sexual conquest that they plan on breaking in the future. Like yeah. when, when I was scrawny and nerdy looking, there was so many times that women tried to play that game with me. And, and after the first couple of times, I think maybe after the third time I learned my lesson. There is no pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. Yeah. And if there is, is it worth it? Because just if she if if she's willing to give me a blow job for doing her math homework, well, who else is she giving blow jobs to for what other kind of services? Right. Okay. Is it really worth it? And then when you realize that it was just like all she has, she's got a she's got a gorgeous body. She seems interested in me, but what happens after the sex is over? What happens well, when re- you're in your late teens, early twenties, you're not thinking about that. All you're thinking is I want to head that. That's yeah. all you're thinking, right? You're, you're not thinking anything further than that. It's as you get older and hopefully wiser is when you realize that there's more to life than just sex, than just hitting that. Like what happens after the pre-ejaculation clarity, you know, after you like, oh my God, what am I doing here? What? Oh Jesus. What did I get myself into? And it's like right. the moment is gone and it was just like, oh Jesus, now what are the consequences of this? You you look back at, at, at my past and it was like, you know what? A lot of these chicks just weren't worth it. A lot of them just were not worth it. And, and, it's and, not and wor- to be fair, there's a lot of women looking back and saying a lot of the guys that I, I was with were not worth it either. It goes both ways. Right. Absolutely. Because that's the other part of the Barbie movie, according to what my, my daughter has said, is Ken goes from basically being a simp to realizing, hey, I'm a person in my own right. Yeah. You know? So it's one of those movies that I'm, uh, you got to kind of pay attention to, I think. Yeah. And I'm just not, <laughs> just not paying attention to much right now. Right. I mean, what happens when a man figures out that he is simply just an, an accessory to a powerful, successful woman and all he does is just check off a box. And I, I had this problem in my own life, in my own marriage with Carol. And I'm, yeah. I'm going to say something very personal right now. And I can almost guarantee you that the people who are listening to this podcast who hate listen are probably going to call my father-in-law and demand an explanation or an apology, okay? There were so many times 
when I felt uh, Carol didn't make me uh, Carol didn't try to make me feel this way. And let's also say that I'm at the point now in my life where you can't make me feel anything. If I feel anything at all, it's because that's that's my choice. I choose to feel this way. Okay. Right. Let's just make that also perfectly clear. All right. Right. There were important so, lesson for everyone to learn. There were so many times that I knew, and I'm using "new" in air quotes, that I was nothing more to them than accessory to Carol. I played the role of Darren on Bewitched. Okay. That mm-hmm. nobody cares if it's Dick York or Dick Sargent. I happen to have been Dick Sargent. And they're pissed, or they were pissed, because I wasn't playing the role of Darren that they wanted for Carol Samantha. Does that make any sense? Let me just yeah. rewind this for some of our listeners. There used to be this TV show called Bewitched. And this, this woman, was it Elizabeth Montgomery? Yep. Okay, who played Samantha. And after a couple of seasons, the actor who played Darren got sick. Which got, was the husband. Which was the husband. He got sick. They replaced him with another actor, Dick Sargent, and they never addressed it. It was just this season, from here on out, Darren is being played by Dick Sargent. And right. he, he and pl- un- Unfairly, in the Bewitched movie that, um, what's his name, the asshole? Um, Will Ferrell? Will Ferrell. In Will Ferrell's, in that movie, he actually says, they replaced Darren and no one noticed. No, everyone noticed, just no one cared. Right. So No one gave a shit because the, the show wasn't about him. Like you're saying, he was an accessory. Yeah. And I was nothing more to these people, and I'm still nothing more to these people, than Carol's generic, nonspecific husband. And they don't want to get into the reasons of why carol's darren had to be replaced and there are many times when i was angry with carol not her fault this is my fault um that that's how they treated me just shut up pretend that you agree with everything that is being said don't bring up politics even if even if the lord of the house brings it up and whatever he says just to just make the peace just for just for one day just two days Memorial Day weekend, and then um, 4th of July. Just just for one day. Just just pretend to be normal. Just pretend to be Darren. Just be Carol's nonspecific, generic husband. And whatever that implies. And I got sick yeah. and tired of it. I get, I get sick and tired of it. And I didn't, and I didn't get anything out of it. And there were mornings, there were, like the 5th of July... After they made somebody made fun of my stutter, I wanted to hang myself. Jesus the way that Christ. I was treated, the way that I was treated, the following July fifth, I wanted to hang myself because I'm not a person. I am literally Ken. I am Carol's Ken. I'm an accessory. I don't have any thoughts. I don't have any feelings that they don't want me to have during those two days. Even when the topic of World War II history and and spies during World War II comes up i'm not even allowed to be a part of that conversation and my father-in-law totally fucking flipped out when i actually asked a question about a book that the lord of the house and i had actually read in the past year because that might that might that might like rock the boat and i completely understand the 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 quote ken enough 
or knuff. Is that how do you? I don't know how you fucking pronounce it. <laughs> but are you enough? No, you're Ken Nuff. That's a line from the movie, and I'm seeing stickers all over. You know, men are getting a taste of what women had to endure for centuries because now women have their own money. Women have their own success. More women are graduating from college than men. Women are now making more money at, in the well, workplace. And, and, and also things are geared more towards women than they are to men. Sure. Like college, the way they teach college is geared more towards a female mindset than a male mindset. And yes, there's a difference. And if you don't think so, then you need to talk to a psychologist who can explain it much better right. than I can. I can I can give you the number of my my therapist. And it got to the point where I was, and there was and it was three or four days after my birthday in 2000. Yeah, 2012. Yeah, 11 years ago. And I had I had this breakdown. Not like um, not like the mental breakdown I had when my um, father passed away and looking at a lot of the files that he had um, on his on his computer. Yeah, um, that was a rough week. That was a rough week. And the idea that um, everything that my father said was true. But the 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 major ten thousand dollar question that I was dealing with. And this is this started a big, huge fight between Carol and I that I think lasted for weeks. There was a moment when I realized I didn't know who I was because I was trying to be every I was trying to be everything to everybody else. And my mother would say to me, don't act like that. Don't talk like that. You're too much. That's too much like your father. And my mother would be you know, my father would be don't do that. Don't talk like that. Don't 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 rest your arms like that. You look too much like your mother. And I would emulate men like Harrison Ford, Bill Murray, Michael Keaton, Roger Moore, George Lazenby, Pierce Brosnan to an extent, to not upset my parents and not remind them of each other. And there's a moment where I was just like... Which is fucked up. Which is fucked up. And and I got into this habit, and it, it was sort of like, well, who, who, who really, what is my personality other than constantly emulating these people? What does it mean to act like Eric Fisk? What does it mean to be just Eric Fisk? And I mean, literally, I had no idea who I really was. And it put me in, in a panic. I don't well, I mean, it's a very existential crisis yeah. that you're going through at that point. Yeah. Who am I? And my therapist, who is a, who is a genius, she said that you are this guy who adopted these behaviors just to survive. And, and you became a chameleon just to survive and instead of trying to be those people why don't you just figure out what it means to be you and i had a conversation with my kids and my wife and they much prefer me just being me and it was funny thing happened this past saturday now as you all know that i eric fisk of the fedora chronicles wear a fedora on a daily basis I have, let me, no. do, let me count, let me count real quick. One, two, three, four, five. I now have five fedoras. I also have a couple of boxes, some in, in boxes that, I, that are just so badly worn, I, I can't throw them away. Okay. One of the things that my therapist had said is that when it comes to dressing the way that I dress, um, this is just a, this was just a survival tactic it was like a, quote, security blanket that I've taken and I've molded it into something else. It's like taking an old piece of cloth and it used to be a security blanket. Now it's a vest or now it's a jacket. 
and I'm okay with that. And I don't, I don't do the entire Indiana Jones cosplay every single day. I do what I call incognito Jones, where it's like I always have a web belt that goes with the color of the pants. Today happens to be gray, dark gray, steel gray, button-down shirt, um, casual shoes, and the fedora. And that's, that's it. That's my look. And I have this jacket um, from Westit, this Indiana Jones Last Crusade Westit jacket. And I asked my wife, it's like, because it's more than 20 years old, should I replace it? Because it needs, it's in serious need of repair. And mm-hmm. she said that I've worn that jacket so much and I've, it's, it's, it's broken in so much. It's not Indy's jacket. It's Eric's jacket. Yeah. And it's become like, a, it's, it's been, it's become a part of a family tradition and a family institution. You know, autumn is coming. When dad wears this jacket every day, it's not Indy's jacket. It's Eric's jacket. It doesn't, it looks kind of like Indy's jacket, but it's Eric's jacket. And because of the natural material of the felt that the fedoras are made out of, they come out of the box looking like Indy's hat. But when I wear them and it's like, and I crease them and, and you know, whatever conditions, they sort of stop looking like the hat that Harrison Ford wore. And they're more like my yeah. And my personality is starting to slip out a little more. And I'm not emulating Harrison Ford, Bill Murray, uh, Michael Keaton, uh, Roger Moore, George Lazenby, Lee Majors to a small extent. Um, I, I'm becoming more of Eric Fisk, who grew up in the 80s watching those movies. It's a subtle distinction, but it's a huge distinction nonetheless. Right. Okay. I think that one of the reasons why Barbie, the movie, not the doll, not the toy, is such a success is because it tackles those issues for Barbie and for Ken in the guise of a movie about a toy that everybody loves. See now, that's the kind of shit I want to see from Hollywood. Yeah. So now I want to I actually want to watch the movie. Because that's what good art does. It, it, it can be seen, doesn't force you, but you can use it as a method of self-examination and self-determination, right? Yeah. That's what good art is for. You know, when you look at the Sistine Chapel, you can look at it and say, huh, that's pretty. Or you can look at it and say, this is the creation of man. This is how we believe or these people believed that man was created. What does this mean for me? How does this, how does this impact me? What does this mean on a, on a very real personal level? You know, that's, those are the things that art is supposed to do. And I think far too often in our lives, we don't take the opportunity to look at art in that way. You know, we don't approach it from that standpoint at all. We just kind of look at it and say, oh, well, it's a pretty picture. But it's more than that. It is, it's a look at our collective psyche. It's a look at our, 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 our own insecurities and understandings of life. And just like that hat that you have, that you're inspired by something else, 
and it is now an expression of you and not an expression of you emulating someone else or something else. That's what good art is supposed to do. It's supposed to point out those those things in ourselves, whether it's something you see in nature, something you see in another person that we find an echo of within ourselves that allows us to become part of the collective while at the same time also enshrining our own individuality. That is what good art is supposed to do. And yeah. if that is something that happens with the Barbie movie, then that's something I personally want to see. I want to I want to be a part of that. I want to understand that. We as humans oftentimes are very unwilling to take a hard look at ourselves. So artists throughout history have done that for us. They present us with an image, with a sound, with a performance that echoes something within ourselves that speaks to us. That is the je ne sais quoi. That is the, the unknown quality of art that everyone sees and says, this is good, but they can't necessarily define why it is good. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that we've sort of lost, lost sight of is that we don't teach art history as much as we used to or as much as we should. Yeah. And one of the aspects of teaching art history is allowing students to say, okay, this, this is what the artist intended when he made this. And this is what other art historians has said this means. Now, what does it mean to you? We, right. we sort of like forgotten that that's okay. That's, that's okay to do, Jay. Well, also, our schools are designed right now to prohibit individual thought and limit creativity. That's the curriculums are literally designed to do that because it's all about conformity. You know, it's all about doing things the way you're instructed to do them. You've got to do what you're told to do. It's not about teaching you individual problem-solving skills or what to do if things go wrong. No, you follow the, the formula. That's what modern schooling is like. I remember talking to my kids and reviewing their homework with them. And like, especially the whole freaking common core bullshit, aside from any of the political ramifications, you may want to be able to read into that. The simple math fact of the matter is that they're teaching math differently. So what does that mean? That means me as a parent, I can't help my kids do their homework. They're not doing math the same way I did. And what was wrong with the way I did it, you know? And it, it, it's frustrating to me because I was raised by people and in a circumstance where you're supposed to try and figure things out like that. You're supposed to understand the meanings behind it. And I don't think children, our children, are being taught that anymore. They're not being taught the importance of, of figuring it out for yourself and having a calm hand, measured hand, guiding you along that discovery process. Kids are either left to their own devices and, hey, you, you didn't figure it out so you fail, or you have, this is how you do it. Well, why do we do it that way? Because this is what the book says. Both of those are a disservice to the children that they're supposed to be teaching. How is a child supposed to learn anything if the teacher's only response is, well, that's what the book says? That's just not right. That's, that's not, it's not helping anybody. The child is now lesser off because of it, because they don't understand and haven't been given an example of thinking for themselves. And what do you think it means? 
what is your opinion? And that's sad, I think. I think that's a that's a very sad commentary on what we have done with our society. We've allowed that to happen. And I don't know why we did. I'm a little ashamed that we did. But how do we fix it? How do we how do we how do we get beyond this fiasco? that has grown around us or because of yeah. us. I don't know what's happening, but we're, we're losing your we signal. Better? Jay, we're losing your signal. Oh, sorry. I don't know. My, yeah, you sound, you hear yeah, you sound a little garbled. You actually sound a lot garbled. Shit. I don't know if it's on your end or my okay. end. Hey, hold on. Let me check. The thing. Man, that was a good rant, too. Yeah. I wonder if it's PC. God damn it. I got to rebuild this fucking thing. I should just yeah, install yeah, Linux yeah. on it and be done with it. Now you sound better for some reason. Yeah. I think it was just a process running on my fucking computer. Yeah. Well, I'm just looking Sorry. at, I just look, I'm just looking at the time. Yeah. We've been at this almost an hour now. Yeah. Do you want to talk about what we really were supposed to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's, let's hit that real quick. So Jay and I had to take um, a hiatus for all of you who were listening. Oh, by the way, I started recording uh, 59 minutes ago, just in case you were wondering. Um, Jay and I had to take a hi hiatus for a series of reasons. And one of the reasons why I had to take a hiatus is because I needed to start another job. And I will get into that after Jay talks about what's going on with him, because I think that's more important. In a... Uh July of this year, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And uh, I've had a shaky, my left hand's been shaking for a couple of years now. It got bad enough that I actually went to the doctor. And um, he diagnosed me, My the first neurologist I went to diagnosed me with um, what's called an essential tremor. And I believe we've talked about this on the show before. Um, there were other things that started happening. Um, people close to me started noticing other things. And so I went and got a second opinion and I was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Then I went and got what's called a DAT scan where they're checking the dopamine activity within the brain. And it essentially confirmed the diagnosis. Um, there is no one single test that is conclusive, but between what the neurologist was observing with me and what the DAT scan revealed, the two of them basically are as close to a 100% confirmation as you can get. So for those of you who are not very familiar with Parkinson's, Parkinson's is a decreased creation of dopamine in the brain. Dopamine is used in a fuck ton of shit. Mm -hmm. So the three hallmarks of Parkinson's are shaking, stiffness, and slowness. So for me, on my left side of my body, my left hand shakes. Um, my leg has started shaking a little bit um, when I, those are kind of my cues that I need to take my medicine. And also my, my left side is not as responsive as my right side. So when typing or playing the saxophone, my left hand does not move. The fingers on that hand do not move as quickly as the fingers on my right. Um, when I walk, sometimes I have a bit of a shuffle limp kind of thing. It is degenerative. 
it is a disorder that is going to eventually bring me to the point where I will not be in control of my body. I will not be able to move. It is that is inescapable. It is going to happen. It could happen over the next five years. It could happen over the next 50 years. There's no way to predict it. There's ways to mitigate it, to combat it. But each person's experience with Parkinson's is individual. So some people have a very slow, gentle decline. Some people have a very rapid decline. And there's no way of knowing until it happens. Um, some of the other things that go along with it is um, dopamine is also the feel-good drug in our brain. So we get a, a what's called a dopamine response when you have good food. When you do something you enjoy, you get a dopamine response. I get less of that now. That's something that has caused me to start to lose weight. So I need to start watching and making sure that I'm eating. I enjoy the food as I'm eating it. But because I don't get that dopamine feedback, I don't get I don't get that urge to eat again or eat more. It's like, oh, that was good. And that's it. You move on. There's no unless someone brings it up, you don't think about it again. Um, there is a cognitive aspect to it as well. It's possible that I might, for lack of a better term, I might get dumber. Um, it might affect my memory. It's kind of hard to tell because I've never had a great memory. So yeah, I'm learning a lot about Parkinson's. And one of the things I'm learning about Parkinson's is I can only do research in small amounts because it scares me. Yeah. It scares the fuck out of me. So for the entire month of July and most of August, I've been kind of coming to grips with that. I can finally say that without breaking down, but it is life-changing. So, yay. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of like a weird way to to put it. Well, I mean, um, for me personally, I I have to find the humor in it. If I can't find the humor in something that's going on with me, then it's beating me. Yeah. And this is, unlike cancer, you can beat cancer or cancer beats you, period. And it's very obvious if you've beaten cancer because you no longer have it, or if cancer beats you because you die. Parkinson's will not me, but it may get me to the point where I don't want to be alive anymore. In spite of what you read in books and, and stuff like that, simply losing the will to live does not necessarily mean you die. Or if you do, the way it gets is that you stop eating and slowly starve yourself to death. So one of the things that I'm currently doing is I'm researching how to do a living will. Just just to let you know, Jay, we, we are kind of losing your signal again. There are states where euthanasia is legal, and I may eventually get to the point where I want to take a trip, a one-way trip to those states or one of those states. Probably not all of them. That seems kind of overkill. Just Ta-da-dum. one, yeah. Just one might be enough, right? So, if I seem more introspective, it's because I am, because it 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 affects you. You know, if you're a person who thinks a lot, when you get told something like this, you you either find out a lot about it, or you start thinking a lot about what does life mean and what is what is important in life 
when I went back to Massachusetts, I didn't do a lot of visiting. I visited Eric, but mostly I was talking to family and visiting with family. And I hope no one sees that as a slight, not because I didn't want to visit. I kind of needed to concentrate on family for my own mental and emotional health. I plan on going back and I plan on visiting friends because I also that's also important. I need to do that as well. But that's not what this trip was for. So when you do finally go on one of those like last trips, mm-hmm. I want to be there. I want to be there for you. I'd appreciate that. Cause this is, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it's been a hell of a summer. Yeah, yeah, it, it has, it has. And um, just for a little update, I wanted to kind of keep this short. I wanted to keep this under an hour. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Um, Have we ever done that? I want to just let people know that um, one of the reasons why I have, I mean, one of the reasons why we have not been doing the podcast is because of this reason. This, well, it's not, this is not the only reason. The other reason is that I had to get a job and I got a job doing something that I, I always thought would be fun and I always thought it would be interesting. And it's well within my wheelhouse, let's just say. And I, but part of, the, part of the agreement was that I'm not going to tell you outright who it is that I'm working for other than it's a government agency, which is, and I, here's the other, the, the cracked thing is that I sailed through um, all of the background checks, including the one with the FBI. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, it turns out to work for this government agency, you have to be a conspiracy theorist. You know, that's surpri- That's that's really not as surprising to me. It's knowing, not. Uh, knowing what agency you're working for because it turns out it turns out that everybody that i work with is a conspiracy theorist and they believe in different conspiracy theories than i do um and some of their conspiracy theories i completely disagree with 110 percent i never thought that i would like work with people who believe in these specific conspiracy theories have you met the Have you met the person? Because there's always one in any conspiracy theory group who doesn't believe we landed on the moon. Two, we have two. two. We have two. Wow. And I always blow their mind when I say, "Well, wait a minute. If we never landed on the moon, then how do you explain the artifacts that Apollo 19 and Apollo 20 brought back from the far side of the moon?" And that they 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 walk walk away shaking their heads. But um, we are all in agreement on JFK. Um. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. That's like saying Hitler didn't die in Berlin. Pretty much everyone knows Hitler didn't die in Berlin. Everyone knows JFK wasn't killed by uh, right. Yeah. Um, so and the thing is that it was is so, it really conspiracy theory anymore? It's not, it's not mean, a conspiracy. Is it just like an it, undisclosed? It's, sort a, cons- of it's a conspiracy fact. fact. It's a conspiracy fact. Just get over yourselves if you still think that Lee Harvey acted alone. Um, and there's a weirdness spectrum. Okay. There is the just a little weird, just a little, little weird, you know, just like weirder than most people, but not so weird that it's that it's a problem. And then there's the other end of the the spectrum, whereas it's like these people are so weird, they get in the way of their own lives. They are weird, weird. They are like Twilight Zone. They they are 
they seem to be ripped right from the pages of a Stephen King novel. And by the way, there's a reason why all of Stephen King's books take place in a small town somewhere in New England. There's a reason for that. I won't there's get a lot it. of fucking kooks in small towns in New England. I, later on in a future podcast, I will tell you about what's really going on in the backwoods of New Hampshire. <laughs> the problem with this government agency is that it's something that everybody relies on. We have nothing but good people working at this government agency. Even despite all of their weird idiosyncrasies, they all have a personality. And I'm proud to call all of these people my friends. Okay? Um, Sometimes we get on each other's nerves and we want to strangle each other. The problem is, is that this government agency... And I'm not, I, they can't fire me for saying that there are good people who are doing the best with what they, what they have. They, they simply can't. Yeah. Okay. And if I do get fired, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell everything. Yeah. It's underfunded. It's undersupplied. And the equipment is grossly, grossly outdated. It's either broken or outdated or it's intermittent. Well, that drives with my experiences in the Coast Guard. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and um, the there isn't an, an element of frustration with the people who work there because you're expected to do more with less and less each passing day, and that some some days something is going to work great, and then the other days the same thing it was it will just like literally explode on the road somewhere. Um, and one of the things this this is one of the signs that our society is collapsing and our society is in free fall. We can send billions of dollars to fight a proxy war in a country that nobody could find on a map without help, but we can't find the money for the basic services here within the United States. We have billions of money, billions of dollars to help Ukraine. But we have nothing for the people in Maui, Hawaii. You should be fucking yeah. pissed. And we we are, everybody that I work with and I talk to about this, everybody that I've talked to about this, and I haven't spoken to everybody, just the people who I know that I, that I know that I know that I can trust them. This is a, this is a sign of American decline. This is a sign. <laughs> What's that, Jay? We're losing your signal again. Yeah, I actually got to get going. All right. Close to where I need to actually start working. All right, Jay. I just want to just say thank you for another awesome show. I'm sorry to hear about your condition. I feel awful. I wish that there was more that I could do. Um, but I'm, I, but I am here for you, and I'm sure our audience is as well. I appreciate that, and uh, I'm looking forward to what the future brings, man. I mean, some of it's gonna suck ass, but I'm gonna have fun regardless. Cause fuck that shit. Congratulations on surviving another episode of the Fedora Chronicles radio show. You can find out more about us via our webpage, thefedorachronicles.com. There you will find past episodes, show notes, commentary and rants, product reviews, and so much more. Be sure to follow us on social media platforms such as Twitter, Instagram, Truth Social, Mastodon, Telegram, Getter, Tribal, and now on our own Reddit page. You can find us by just searching for us on those platforms. 
don't forget to join us and the rest of the gang of listeners and fans on facebook.com slash groups slash Fedora Chronicles and twitter.com slash Fedora Chronicle. These platforms are a great way to connect with us and share with us your topic suggestions and comments. Or you can just drop us a line at fedorachronicle at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us on Twitter's iTunes, FM Player, SoundCloud, and wherever podcasts can be found. And if your favorite podcast subscription service doesn't carry the Fedora Chronicles radio show, let us know and we'll fix it as soon as we can. You can support the show by shopping for our swag on Zazzle.com while showing off your incredible, impeccable taste. Exactly 12.5% of every purchase goes to keeping this and other shows on the Fedora Chronicles network on the air. That's Zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. Or you can become a patron. For a mere $5 a month, you get early access to the podcast, updates on what we're working on, and so much more. Thanks for all your support in advance, and thank you to all of our listeners who have already contributed. For $4.99, you get the same great content and more on our OnlyFans page, onlyfans.com slash Fedora Chronicle. The theme songs for the show are Royal Flush and Black Cabaret by All of Music. All other music on the show is listed on the show page and has been provided to us by Premium Beats from Shutterstock. Once again, on behalf of my co-host Jason Cousineau, this is Eric Renderking-Fisk reminding you that this has been the Fedora Chronicles Radio Show's News of the Week from the Fedora Chronicles Network. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. And one last time, keep your chins up and your fedoras on. <laughs>